What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. This episode of Undistracted is brought to you by our sponsor, Chambord, an all-natural black raspberry liqueur produced in the Loire Valley of France. We all know that margaritas are the perfect complement to much Mexican food, but they also pair well with a lot of different foods from around the world, and they can be made a lot of different ways. For a twist on a margarita that might just become your new signature drink, no matter what type of cuisine is on the table, just mix pomegranate juice, lime juice, and tequila, then add a little Chambord board for a luxurious velvety raspberry twist shake with ice and serve on the rocks with a sugar rim and cheers visit your local wine or liquor retailer today to find chambord and remember please drink responsibly chambord black raspberry liqueur 16.5 abv brown foreman louisville kentucky chambord is a registered trademark copyright 2022 Hey y'all, it's Brittany. So, um, <laughs> today's show is not just any episode. It is absolutely the most personal, the most gut-wrenching, the most triumphant episode we may have ever had. Well, at least to me, <laughs> because I had a baby. <laughs> I know, I know. You're like, girl, we ain't even know you were pregnant. (laughs) What can I say? Pandemics and cleverly posed photographs go a long way to hold your secrets. (laughs) The truth is, it was a long, long and winding, complicated, beautiful journey to parenthood. And it comes with so many of the justice issues we discuss because none of what we discuss here at Undistracted is theoretical. All of it impacts our lives in the most intimate of ways. So today... I tell you my story, and I thank you for holding space for me. We are undistracted. (laughs) So, where do I begin? Gosh, the story starts three years ago, almost to the day. I read a beautiful and transparent cover story for Parents Magazine in which Gabrielle Union talked so openly about having her daughter, Kavia James, by surrogate. Gabrielle was the latest in a line of stories about the journeys of Black celebrities becoming parents and often under extremely trying circumstances. Beyonce had dangerous preeclampsia. Serena Williams, the greatest athlete of all time, had to advocate for herself to keep her and her baby from death. I was 35, six months away from my wedding, and wanting to be a mom. Now, my soon-to-be husband, Reggie, and I spent a lot of time fantasizing about the kind of kids we would have and the kind of parents we wanted to be. And I was also staring down fibroids, a terribly unresponsive OBGYN, and the possibility of what some jerk decided to call geriatric pregnancy. Like, bro, you couldn't name this anything else? I don't know, but Gabrielle's transparency really pushed me to think about my own. And so I wrote a few tweets about it. And in that short thread, I shared my own plans to freeze my eggs or our embryos, which is a very expensive and somewhat terrifying proposition, but one I wanted to be honest about in hopes to spark a conversation among other Black birthing people who, I mean, let's face it, are often feeling alone as we navigate a system of medical apartheid to do a thing that is most natural to us should we choose it. I never actually got there, though, to the freezing of the eggs part, because shortly after we got married, this little thing called coronavirus came along, and all I wanted to do was, like, survive and watch Tiger King. There's, like, no time for elective medical procedures, okay, boo? Come November 2020, it seemed like maybe we would need to revisit that conversation anyway. I found out at midnight on my birthday, November the 12th, that I was pregnant. A terrible year suddenly became worth it. Until six days later. I was getting ready to do an interview for this podcast and found myself bleeding in the bathroom. I did the interview, 
and muted myself after I asked each question so I could cry off tape. My terrible OBGYN took an entire day to call me back and more days to actually have me in to check me. I had, in fact, miscarried. I was... I was heartbroken. I don't think I've ever cried so much. You know, there are studies that show people grieve miscarriages for up to three years, even if they go on to have another child. And I have no problem believing that. My brain felt like it was in a fog for months. The holidays were gray. I didn't want to decorate a single thing. And my New Year's was listless. But as I slowly, slowly started to come back to myself and we got serious about trying again, what occurred to me was something my mother always says. God's timing is perfect. Doesn't always feel that way, but I started to believe that our little bean was coming back to us. And I spent a lot of time on my knees praying that this would be the case. And sure enough, in July 2021, he was back. There is um, <laughs> a lot more to this story. First of all, there's the reality of what having a baby in this country is like. The U.S. is one of just six countries in the entire world that does not offer paid leave for birthing parents. And the maternal and infant mortality numbers are way too high for Black women. I knew these numbers before, of course, but it's different <laughs> when you're in the middle of it. And then there was the fact that our pregnancy did not go as planned. It was nothing like what we expected, which is why I haven't been talking to you about it every week on this show. Our story involves eight days in the hospital for me and over 110 days in the NICU for our child and both me and Reggie working our jobs, multiple jobs, through it all. It was the most intense and surreal time of my entire life. I felt so incredibly blessed to get to know this beautiful person a little early. And yet, there were so many things that could have gone wrong. This story is not one that I ever knew would be true of my life. And there was only one person to help me tell it. I'll tell you who right after the break. Our sponsor, Shambord, cares about championing underrepresented groups and creating a more inclusive world. They're partnering with us on the Undistracted Spotlight to amplify the brands of BIPOC women and gender nonconforming entrepreneurs. For today's episode, we want to shout out Juleka Lantigua, founder and CEO of LWC Studios, a Peabody-nominated independent digital audio and film production company whose mission is to erase the margins by centering creators and audiences of color. Right on. After 18 plus years in the media, Juleka took the leap to launch her own media production company, one that caters to black and brown audiences with lifestyle and journalistic content. LWC Studios produces Latina to Latina, which is listened to by 13% of all Latino podcast listeners. Damn. <laughs> and how to talk to high achievers about anything, about the professional challenges encountered by people of color. Juleka credits her team as her greatest source of inspiration, often calling them superheroes with superpowers. Together, they are unstoppable. Well, Juleka, you too are a superhero in all of our eyes. Keep on creating and erasing the margins. Brava. And we are back. So I have decided, we have decided really, that this sweet, smart, strong young person that chose me as his mother, that was gifted to us to care for him, ought to get to choose when the world knows his name. So until that time, I'm calling this little guy our sweet baby M. Pregnancy is like this wild ride that... So many people throughout history have gone through, and yet you kind of go through it on your own. I mean, no one can really know what it's going to be like in your body. My partner and my husband of nearly three years, our sweet baby M's incredible father, Reginald Cunningham, was the steadiest rock I could have asked for through everything that has happened over the last year. He is a portrait and a concert photographer, a professor at George Washington University, hands down the funniest person I know. And we sat together and recounted what happened, what it taught us, and what it means to us to raise a conscious Black child in this here country of ours. So, uh, 
you all know who I am, but I would like to introduce you to my husband, my life partner, the Mr. Reginald Victor Cunningham II. <laughs> Reggie, go on and tell the, people who you are. The whole government. The whole wow. government. Wow, okay. Um, who is you? Who am I? I am a black man. Mm-hmm. I am your husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a photographer. I am a supporter of all things Brittany Packnett Cunningham as well. Aw. So. Okay, so we kind of have a wild love story. Wild and boring all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to know what our love story is from your perspective. And I'm going to see if you tell it right. Well, the pressure is on. <laughs> so we met at a protest. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks don't know police killed about eight more black men in St. Louis by the end of the year after Michael Brown was killed. Yeah, in 2014. So there's a young man named Vonderrick Myers, mm-hmm. uh, which was a couple blocks from my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother actually knew him. So we were at a protest for that. And uh, we had a mutual friend who was on the phone with you trying to direct you to where we were. Because to be clear, I was lost. It was in a new part of the city and I was like, was I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. Right. From the south side. Yeah. And so he walked up to me and asked me if I could tell you where to meet us at. Gave you the phone and walked Gave away. me the phone, walked away. Right. <laughs> uh, I had no idea who you were, <laughs> what you looked like. It is dark outside. Uh-huh. There are hundreds of people. Yeah. Uh, up and down the street, chanting and everything. Police are everywhere in riot gear. Uh, the most chaotic thing you can think of. And then, like, all of a sudden, it was like a movie scene. Like, you know, <laughs> there's, like, the oh, soft screen. Oh, so you are screen. telling it right. Go ahead. There's, <laughs> there's, like, the soft screen. Uh-huh. And, like, the crowd parted. Uh-huh. The steam's coming out of the sewer. Ooh. And then, all of a sudden, like, you step through and you appear out of the steam. And you had these like, like Beyonce, heeled yeah. boots on. <laughs> you actually look kind of more like Kelly because okay. you, had, yep. you had like the the short like Halle Listen, Berry. Cut. We love Calendria Roland, okay. Um, and you had on like this fly jacket, and I think yep. you had on black jeans or and black did. pants. And I was just like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, damn, Daniel. <laughs> and I remember thinking like. Oh, I hope that's her. <laughs> like, I, I, she's on the phone. I think that's her. And it was. And uh, it was. Uh, we met eyes and I was just like, yep, that's her. And I had a whole boyfriend. And yeah, you did. So and, I drop kicked at, you to the friend zone. At, at first, I didn't care. <laughs> because I was like, I'm, I can I'm swing it. it. I can swing it. I can finesse it. And then you said like, how long y'all have been together? And I was like, Oh. oh, y'all together together. Okay. We, <laughs> we, yeah, we, uh, okay, I'm good. Yeah. And we were friends for a couple of years. Uh, we both became single around the same time. And through the dealing with the stuff from those relationships, we bonded further because mm-hmm. um, we were there for each other. And then one day you flirted with me. It's true. And I was like. Normally I deny that part, but it's, it's like, true. I was like, are you flirting with me? And I was like, do you want me to be flirting with you? And I was like. <laughs> Yeah, we good. We out here. And then, you know, we ended up together. We both had moved to D.C., uh, ended up together. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history, as they say. Um, did I get that right? Or did I miss anything? I, I think that I think that your storytelling was accurate. I think for me, what I discovered when I opened my mind to the idea of us having a romantic relationship was that I always felt fully free to be myself around you. And <laughs> and I don't know that I had ever felt that way in a in a romantic relationship. So I said if I feel this way in a friendship and I find him attractive, then like why not try it on? You know? Well, I'm glad you tried me on and decided <laughs> to purchase because <laughs> You know, I feel like I'm one of those staple items in your closet, you know? You're reliable. <laughs> you always look good to me. And you always feel good. Oh, you feel good, too. Aw, I love you. I love you, too. Okay, so... Enough of the mushy stuff. 
No, actually, we're on to more mushy stuff yes. because I want to pivot to why we are actually having this conversation because you're somebody's daddy and I'm somebody's mama, as our shirts say. Yes. And you and I have brought a whole child into this world months before we actually thought we'd be welcoming yeah. him into the world. A whole child. Do you want to tell the, the people about our journey to get there? How did that feel for you? Because it wasn't this kind of storybook journey to becoming parents. Yeah, I, I feel like it started out kind of storybook. Yeah. In terms of your pregnancy, I think that, you know, everything was going amazingly. Yeah, this time around. Uh, mm-hmm. This time around, um, which, you know, was something that we were really, you know, I guess nervous about Yeah. Uh, in the beginning. So... Why were we nervous about that? Though? We were nervous because previously, about almost a year ago, before that, <clears throat> you had a miscarriage. So yeah. it was just a really traumatic time. I mean, we wanted to hold this time a little close to our chest and make sure everything was, you know, in the clear before mm-hmm. we we said anything. And so every doctor's appointment, every ultrasound, everything went about as according to plan as you could hope. And uh, one day we went to dinner and I remember coming home and uh, we both were sleepy. We got into bed mm-hmm. uh, and you woke me up and you said, I think we need to go to the hospital. For me, it didn't really matter what was wrong. I know you know your body. Yeah. Um, and so I jumped up quickly. I uh, got dressed. You filled me in on what you know you were experiencing, which I'll let you talk about. Yeah. And we headed to the hospital and it started a journey that neither one of us thought we would even be going on walking into that hospital. Yeah. Not knowing that basically walking in, you were not leaving until he was born Yeah, at 24 weeks. So it turned out I was in about the middle of my 22nd week and was leaking amniotic fluid. Mm. And you do this thing where you try to Google enough information to be informed, but not Google so much information that you are terrified mm. and found myself doing like a test literally that I had found on Google that it was like lay down for a certain amount of time and stand up. And I did that test and I stood up and there was liquid in my panties. And so it was like nine, 10 o'clock. And I was like, we have to go to the hospital. We called my doctor on the way and she was like, don't come to this hospital because if you are having a baby, we are actually not prepared mm-hmm. To care for a baby this young. And I like it hadn't even occurred to me that like every hospital isn't equipped equipped to handle preterm birth that early. And so we went to the hospital. You know, I remember filling out the paperwork and thinking like we'll be home in the morning. Mm -hmm. And when they gave me a test, a couple of different tests, they A, confirmed it was amniotic fluid that I was leaking. And some other things. And then she looks at me and she was like, Okay, so we're going to be admitting you. And I just remember that all happening so Mm -hmm. fast. And it it took me a minute to really register. You are here until your baby is born. And actually, the longer you can be in this hospital, the potentially better for the baby. But we maybe don't know. The next day, all of the amniotic fluid drained from me, which is a terrifying thing because... Babies learn to breathe in amniotic fluid. Their eyes are protected in amniotic fluid. Their brain is growing in the amniotic fluid. It is what is literally nourishing them, right? So he's getting vitamins and nutrients through that fluid. And now it's literally like dry in there. Like it's the the fluid is gone. And I just remember crying my eyes out while my body is leaking this fluid. And it was terrifying and I remember us talking about it the next day and you feeling so awful because there was nothing you could do about it. Yeah, it was a um a feeling of helplessness that I have never experienced before that I hope to never have to experience again. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of support from our support system, our family and and friends. And uh, a lot of their prayers to keep myself present so that I wasn't lost. So I didn't freak out or, you know, I had my my crying and, you know, I mean, and when I cried, like I cried. Right. But once it was done, it was like, okay, I've got to at least be strong here. Like that's the one thing I can provide in this moment. 
is being strong enough to support when, you know, one of us maybe emotionally didn't feel strong enough. You know, we ended up being in the hospital for eight days. So I made it from right at the end of my 22nd week to the exact day of the start of my 24th week of pregnancy. And this is significant, of course, because the neonatal intensive care unit or the NICU, they are one of the best in the region, but have a trauma level that indicates that they can care for babies successfully starting at 24 weeks. So I'm constantly like hooked up to a two monitors, one to measure the fetal heartbeat. And so like every time I even get up to use the restroom, it is a task, right? The nurses have to disconnect me from this stuff. I have to walk over to the thing. I have to make sure that like I don't trip or fall on the way over to the restroom. As I use the restroom, I have to see if I'm leaking any more fluid. Like, and then I come back and get into the bed and get hooked back up all over again. There were days that I had to use a bedpan. Like it was because I was fully on hospitalized bed rest. Mm. And during this time, there are a million doctors coming in telling you all of the different possibilities. Again, trying to thread that needle between having enough information to make the decisions that we need to make and not having so much information that I am terrified because if I send my own body into stress, right, then I'm I'm adding even more stress to a uh, what has now become a very high-risk pregnancy. And I also remember that being a time where, as a family unit, you and I really had to discuss the kind of boundaries that we wanted to set because there were times when both of us, you sometimes by yourself, sometimes us together, had to really be clear with the doctors and say, Give us this kind of information, but not that kind of information, because this is helpful and that is not. And being able to advocate for ourselves, especially as Black people and for me as a Black woman, in this medical situation that neither one of us have anticipated. We didn't read any books on this. Like, there was no preparation that we had for this becoming our reality. And no sign that that would be our reality. And no sign that that would be our reality. That took a lot of intention. Yeah, you know, of course, we are people of faith. Yeah. Right. But I never wanted to come across as one of those type of people that's like, I don't want to hear anything medical because, right. you know, we prayed on this. And so, you know, X, Y, Z. Right. We believe in God and science. Right. God. I mean, you know, God created science. <laughs> but it really was a moment where both of us, as you said, individually and together had to really let doctors know, like, we know the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Right. So each doctor that comes in, we don't need to consistently hear this is the worst thing that can happen right. because we know that already that has been weighing on us since we stepped into this hospital so yeah, since before yeah so like let us know you know the the possibilities within a certain range of knowledge that we would like to know so i remember the day that it seemed like our child our son was moving around and in a, into certain positions and he was essentially breech mm-hmm. and so his behind was first and he it was like trying to come out and his foot was a little stuck in there and so based on the ultrasounds they were like we're going to start to need to prepare you to have a c-section now especially as a black woman given all of the horror stories that i had heard from other previously pregnant black people who had had terrifying and harrowing experiences in childbirth, many of whom decided, like, not to even give birth to children in a hospital. Like, we got to the point where all of these choices were stripped from me, right? I don't get to decide I want to have a vaginal birth. I don't get to say I don't want a C-section. I don't get to say I want to do a home delivery Because it's COVID, I don't even get to say I want my own medical practitioner or doula in here. It was... Or even what hospital. Right, or even what hospital. Because once we were there, we were there. Yeah. And so it was like, they checked multiple times to see if I could do vaginal delivery, but it was going to be too dangerous for our son. And so I steeled my mind around the C-section. And I remember putting a song by Daryl Coley onto my phone. Blessed Assurance. There's a vert. It's it's an old hymn. 
that my dad used to play. You know this. My dad used to play in the morning. I would like know it was going to be a good day when my dad was banging out Blessed Assurance on the piano, even though he could not sing. <laughs> and he could barely play the piano. Like He taught himself that song by ear. So Blessed Assurance has always meant a lot to me. And you married somebody who can barely play the piano and can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I remember knowing that that was the song that I wanted to hear while I was giving birth. Because that song, the lyrics talk about having assurance in God and in Christ that not just that all will be well, but that God's plans for us are good. And I literally put that song on loop from that morning when they told us, okay, we're we're going in to have a C-section. And so we talk about the process, the epidural, all of this stuff. And the terrifying thing about a C-section is you can't see anything mm-hmm. and you can't feel the cuts and the pokes and the pricks, but you can feel the pressure. And during the procedure, you can see everything, but there's a sheet in front of me, so I can't. So you're watching my body be jerked around. I can't actually fully feel what's going on, but there are certain nerve endings that the doctors are starting to hit. I'm on the table and there are two things that have to happen. I have to give birth and then I have to be put back together essentially because a cesarean section is literally the moving around in, of organs. Um, and then I, so I have to be put back together. The first part of course is terrifying because we've been monitoring our sweet baby as closely as possible, but we don't know what's going to happen mm. Once he enters the world and he's so young that he doesn't cry and I can't see anything. I can't see him. I do not get to hold him. I do not get to kiss him because the second that he is born, he has to be hooked up to oxygen, put into an isolate and intubated so that he can breathe earthside. Yeah, they literally just said he's out. And everybody's telling him happy birthday and I'm crying and you're crying and you can see him, but you can't touch him yet because they have to hook him up. And I literally couldn't see anything. And so that part happens. And then my mind is consumed with, is my baby okay? Like, is he going to survive for them to do all of the things that they need to do? And I'm really not even thinking about myself or my own body at this point until... There are like some nerve endings that the doctors are starting to hit. And I feel severe, severe pain on the right side of my body. And it's just some of the most excruciating pain I've ever had in my life. And I keep telling them, like, I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. And I'll never forget the two different doctors leaning in over my ear and saying, We hear you. I understand that you're in pain. I promise you that we're going to do something about it. And I remember that being so memorable because I don't ever think I've, I think it's outside of our OBGYN. I've never had a doctor talk to me like that. Outside of, outside of my like normal practitioner um, who would took me years and years and years to find because Previously, I went through a miscarriage with a horrible practitioner who was not helpful at all and made me wait several days to even figure out what was happening with my own body and did not believe that I needed to come in when I needed to come in and then asked me why I didn't come in the first time. I'm still in excruciating pain until they have done something where they can finally start to push the medication that I need. But the two times that they said, we hear you and we're going to take care of this. Between that and the song playing over and over again, and then like holding your hand, those are the things that got me through to the other side. It was very hard, especially once he was out, watching you go through that. I have no idea what they were doing to put you back together again, Mm -hmm. but that is when I got worried. I'm like, is this supposed (laughs) to look like this? Yeah, like, you know, I, I, of course, you know, I've never experienced a C section. You know, in terms of being bedside. So, like, I, I don't know what to expect. I'm not a medical professional. But seeing your body jerk that violently and then see you be in that much pain. Yeah. I'm ready to, like, fight somebody. I'm like, yo, what's, <laughs> what is going like, on? Why are you doing my wife like <laughs> What is happening? 
And on top of this, you know, it is about 15 to 20 minutes between him being born and me actually seeing him. Yeah. And not receiving any updates or anything during that time because the doctors are either working on him or working on you. Yeah. And so uh, the the combination of seeing you go through that, the combination of that with like the unknowing of is our son okay? Yeah. And what does okay mean? Yeah. Right? Was probably one of the toughest things that I've had to go through. So we get through that and then we head into the next toughest thing. <laughs> right. Which is becoming NICU parents. Yeah. I will say that there were consistently times where I felt very heard and responded to, especially by the only Black woman doctor. And you know how you can just tell when people are living their purpose? Mm -hmm. Like, they just, like, they just got a whole different, it's vibes. That's her. And moving through this terrifying unknown and being aided and ushered through by somebody who has the utmost care and also sees me as a Black person, as a Black woman, as a full human being, and not just patient X and baby Y and husband Z, it made a very significant difference. It also felt like there had been some kind of training where folks were saying, where doctors were saying to patients, I hear you. You said this. This is what we are going to do about it. And it seems like such a simple thing, but in this moment where we don't know what the outcome of this invasive surgery is going to be. We don't know what the outcome of this birth has been. Those very simple phrases and those simple behaviors meant everything. And they made a world of difference. And I would say that for the most part, that's the kind of engagement that we've had as as NICU parents. And, and it has been a four-month-long journey yeah. of daily visits and... Like daily. Like daily visits. <laughs> Every day. Every day. Every day. Getting up and traveling 30 minutes to the hospital during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So wearing double masks. For the most part, only one of us can go in to see him at a time. Me learning how to pump breast milk because in within an hour of becoming a mother, I have now become an exclusively pumping mom, which means that I have to start generating breast milk, um, both because I've decided to uh, chest feed, but also because I know that as he grows and heals, my breast milk is the strongest medicine he can get. The elixir of life. And so trying to get that liquid gold out while recovering from a C-section and going to the NICU every day was... What's the hardest thing I've ever done? There's there's no if, answer, buts about that. Yeah, it, you you have been amazing uh, in this whole journey. Like, I just want to make sure and honor that. That... I have watched you do the hardest thing that you have ever done and just shine at it. And I mean, the grind. Around the clock. <laughs> Every a, two and a half hours. It is hour. a 24-7 grind and you doing that while still holding down the work that you do, us going across town and spending time with him, taking time to yourself to do yeah. things, you know, you have just been amazing at that and it has been a joy to watch you walk into motherhood you know in the ways that you have do you remember that how you felt the first time you got to hold baby M man um, the first time we you know we got to hold him we didn't know we were going to get to yeah. Hold him. Because like, it had been weeks. Right. I, I had gone in and spent time with him and the nurses had asked me, you know, they were like, hey, we're going to change this isolate to a different one. You know, would you guys want to want to hold him? while, or, or were you guys still going to be here? And um, I was like, oh, absolutely. We will be here as long as we need to be, <laughs> be here in order to, to be a part of this. 
And I wanted to make sure that since I was the first one to see him and touch him, that you got to be the first one to hold him. Uh, I was like, well, we're absolutely doing this. <laughs> I wanted it to be a surprise to you. So when I came out, I was like, hey, Brittany, uh, <laughs> I'm assuming the answer is yes, but do you do you want to do this? And so you you got to hold him first. And I think like a few days later, I got to hold him for the first time. Yeah. That's ex- amazing. You know, and and holding him, just to paint the picture, yeah. is tenuous process, right? Yeah. There at are, that time. at that time at least, he's, you know, maybe 27 weeks at this point, yeah, gestational so. age. And so there's a respiratory specialist. There are three nurses. There's a doctor. There are multiple machines that have to be moved. We're holding him on top of two pillows. We have to make sure that his head doesn't move at all because then the intubation tube that is helping him breathe on the jet ventilator will move. That thing is taped to his face. So if that moves at all, they have to readjust the tape. The angle, the the depth with which it's in his... All of that matters. And everybody is standing around you while you're trying to have... Well, I was trying to have my first intimate moment with my child um, because at most at this point, I've been able to hold his hand for a couple of minutes. And I had been singing to him the whole time. I grew up singing. I haven't done it a lot in recent years because life. So like there's there's not been any church choir or anything like that in my life. you can sing. As as of the last few years. You can sing. Sang. And I had been thinking every day, like, what song do I want to sing to him today? What song do I want to sing to him tomorrow? And we had been recording messages and songs for him that they were playing in his isolate as part of a study that we were very glad to be a part of. But there was one song that I hadn't sang to him yet on the recording. And I decided I was going to sing it to him when I first got to hold him. What? How's it go? You knew this um, was coming. Like, you do. Come on. How's it going? I'm not warmed up. <laughs> there you go. Um, it's this old gospel song. And it goes, um, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He lets me rest in a meadow's grass, yay. And then he leads me beside the quiet stream. He restores my failing health. And he helps me to do what honors him the most. That's why I'm safe. That's why I'm safe. That's why I'm safe. Safe in his <laughs> love when so, you sing. I do. I love when you sing. So that was the song that I wanted to sing him because I I just wanted him to feel safe. And I wanted to know that he was held. And I wanted him to know that he is loved. And I wanted him to know that there is nothing too hard for God. And I wanted him to know that there was nothing too hard for him. And he was born at one pound, nine ounces. And as of today, talking to you, he's seven Seven pounds. Seven and a quarter, something like that. (laughs) And a quarter, drinking all my milk, (laughs) learning how to nurse um, and being quite successful at it. Little chunky jaws. He's got the cutest cheeks and the brightest eyes. And, and waves on swim. Is so, okay, yes. His hair is very on cute swim. and curly. I know you feel very proud of that. <laughs> uh, you all have a very similar curl pattern. <laughs> um, and he is curious and will try his best to lift his head and observe everything around him until he realizes it's a little too heavy for him at this point. And so he's got to put it back down. And he but likes he is, eating mommy's fingers. He likes eating my fingers. And he's just so incredible and i i don't know that i knew i could ever be prouder to know someone than i feel to know this young man who has defied every odd Mm. and every expectation that was put before him and i feel so honored that we get the privilege of spending a life with him while he builds his own you know i i know all parents say this 
<laughs> on on a couple a couple of different things. One, he's definitely the cutest baby I've ever seen in my life. Ever? No, but ever. But like of all time, ever of the world, crazy forever. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel so privileged that he chose us mm. to be his parents and to allow us to uh, watch as he navigates everything that he's had to face so expertly to the point where like the, the doctors have told us like, I've never seen a baby baby like like this before, you know, (laughs) yeah, on several different occasions about several different things. Yeah. Right. It's often discussed in those type of medical spaces about the things that you may experience at a later time with your child. And he may be behind with this, that, or the other because he was born early. But in many ways, there are things that he's doing that are advanced because they are he had happening when he was before he's of gestational of a full term gestational age so things that he wouldn't have had to learn now because he th- in theory would have still right. been in the womb right so you know breathing air <laughs> the basics <laughs> um, yeah you know eating and breathing at the same time yeah right feeding from a bottle feeding you know uh nursing that is mm-hmm. all those are all things that he is advanced yeah in in comparison so he he is just I love how you reframe that. The thank you. He is he is he is his uh he is his father's child. No, he is his um <laughs> mother's child in that he He's is when he focuses on something. Yeah. And you know, he really he puts his all into like one direction. Yeah. Oh, he going he going to knock it out of the park. We're we're goal oriented. Oh, on yeah. the PacNet side. Yes, you are. <laughs> and on the cutting hips. So. Missile seekers. <laughs> He's seeking missiles. Here's so here's my last question for you because yes. this journey has been a roller coaster. There have been beautiful days, like the first time we saw him breathing room air without any oxygen mm-hmm. or aid. The first time we held him. There have been terrifying days, like the time that he had an aspiration and got milk into his lungs mm-hmm. and you know, they're like worried about his ability to breathe. And there are just so many things that can go right and so many things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But as we've been navigating this journey, we've also been spending a lot of time preparing mm-hmm. and really trying to be intentional about the kind of parents that we want to be. Mm-hmm. So like, what 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 is the kind of parent that you want to be? Like, do you have a definition for that? I think I have adjectives for that. I'm listening. I want to be a uh, a fun parent. Okay. Um, That is something I experienced from my mother growing up, that we always had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. There's always a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I want to bring that to to parenthood. I want to be a present parent. Mm. I don't ever want to be too busy to go to my son's football game Mm -hmm. or performance, whatever it is. Yeah at his practices and all of that stuff. Um, I want to be a kind parent Mm. because I want to be able to model that for him so that he grows up to be a a kind adult Mm -hmm. in in his adulthood. I want to be strict, but not in an overbearing way. Strict? We have not discussed this. I think what I mean in that is like, I'm not saying that like, you know, if everybody else, all of his friends' curfew is 10 o'clock, his curfew is 8.30, right? <laughs> you said, no, you coming home. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I am saying that I want to raise the kind of child that respects that if it is 10 o'clock, you know, you make the if choice. If there are agreements we've made. Right. If, if the agreement is 10 o'clock, you make the choice to be home and respect that agreement. I get that. I think I, I really want to raise, I agree with you, a joyful child. Mm-hmm. I think especially because he's done so much work simply to be here with us. And I don't want my child to have to work that hard. I want him to have a real childhood. I want it to be full of flowers and songs and dancing and running and playing and jumping and exploring and adventure and joy. Like real honest to goodness joy. And Jordans. Okay. (laughs) The sneakers will come, but I'm talking about joy. Mm-hmm. From <laughs> I I want I want to be a responsive parent. Mm-hmm. 
knowing fully that in as much as there is plenty for us to teach him, there's plenty for him to teach us. And I don't want to be so set in my ways or so stuck in feeling like, well, this is how it was done with me or this is how I've seen it done. So this is the way it has to be done. Mm-hmm. I just, I really want to raise a free Black child. Like, mm-hmm. I just really want to raise a free Black child, which means that I'm using the pronoun him until and unless that changes, right? Like, you know, to respect his understanding of his own identity or their own identity, you know, to respect growth and evolution, you know, and really wrestle with questions instead of silence them. Obviously, I mean, we gonna raise a conscious child like we met at a, mm-hmm. at a protest. There really ain't no other way around. And I really just want to be open to all of the things that I don't know that I don't know about parenting, about this particular relationship and the ways that it will change and grow and mature and evolve over time. I just don't want to be so rigid that I'm not hearing our child Mm -hmm. and really receiving who they are and how they show up in the world, which makes me altogether nervous and excited because, oh no, we ain't never done this before. (laughs) Is that that what you're most nervous or excited about? Um, Or what what are you most nervous and excited about? Now that I don't feel like I have nerves every day around his health outcomes, I'm like, yeah, I'm equal parts nervous and excited about just like doing as good of a job being a parent as I possibly can and to be good stewards of the gift that God gave us. Mm. Parenthood is a gift. Our child, um, you know, in our faith tradition actually doesn't belong to us, right? We are here to be good guardians. Um and to impart love and wisdom um, and to provide the kind of safety and security that will allow him to grow and evolve, make mistakes and learn from them um, and to be whomever God designed him to be, to be whomever he decides to be. And I just want to make sure that that's the kind of parent I am. And some days I'm that kind of partner and wife and some days I'm not. So <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that I am becoming ever more reflective and not always so quick to rush to the next thing. Like I know I sometimes I do at home. It's okay. I still love you. (laughs) I love you too. has been a journey for both of us. Sometimes you'd never really know what it meant to you or the people you were enduring it with until you sit and talk about it afterwards. But here's where I am right now. Right around midnight <laughs> on April 1st, I found myself sitting in a bucket of my own tears. It had occurred to me that we had finally made it, made it to our son's original birth month and he was still here. When he was born, we set up a Google voice line and email for him so our friends and family could send him notes of prayer and encouragement. So on that April night, his mama wrote him an email. Here's part of what I wrote. It just turned midnight, marking the first day of April, five days before your original due date, before you decided to make an early entrance into our lives. Back on your birthday, December 15th, making it to April felt emotionally impossible so many days so many weeks and months so much that could happen and go wrong but god you are the strongest most tenacious person i know you and your small strong body fought to be here and we fought right by your side prayer has been our weapon love has been our bond Kissing and holding you every day until they kicked us out. Nursing and feeding you and watching you get smarter and stronger and sweeter with each passing day. Watching you observe the world around you with 
intensive curiosity and expressive reaction, coming to know and be calmed by our voices, our touch, my songs. The way you've found the positions you like and the holds you know and the voice you use more and more each day to tell us your wants and your needs, your likes and dislikes. Your smiles, shaky at first, getting surer by the day. Your arms, jittering at first, getting stronger by the day. What a wonder. What a wonder you are. There is a stack of medical research that says you are unlikely to still be here on this day, April the 1st, nearly 16 weeks after your entrance into the world at just 24 weeks. With your ancestors' blood running through you and God's power deep in you, you have defied every odd and jumped over every hurdle. And mom, I can't wait to welcome you home to stay, to grow, to explore, to learn, to invent, to smile, to jump, to play, to see, to hear, to know, and to be so, so deeply, deeply loved. I have never met anybody as spectacular as you, baby M. To my smart boy, my strong boy, my sweet boy, I am so proud of you. We're almost home. So stay the course. We got you. And God's got us all. I love you, Mama. And to each of you, hold on to every single dream that you have. The journey may look different, but you never know. They just might come true. Mine has. Well, (laughs) that's it for today, but never for tomorrow. Undistracted is a production of The Meteor and Pineapple Street Studios. Our lead producer is Rachel Ward. Our associate producers are Alexis Moore and Mary Alexa Kavanaugh. Thanks also to Treasure Brooks, Hannes Brown, Davey Sumner, and Raj Makija. Our executive producers at The Meteor are Cindy Levy and myself, and our executive producers at Pineapple are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. You can follow me at Ms. Pacchetti on all social media and our team at The Meteor. Subscribe to Undistracted and rate and review us, y'all, on Apple Podcasts or most places you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, thanks for being, and thanks for doing. I'm Brittany Packnett Cunningham, Baby M's mama. <laughs> Let's go get free. <laughs>